0: How do you face opposition? Here's this advice
1: from Pastor Xavier Reese
0: on today's Simple Treats.
1: People will despise you and try to intimidate you for your commitment to the work of God, but you must be strong in Christ. We understand the darkness is upon the world. We used to be there. We used to be blind. We used to be deceived. But we don't run from opposition and we proclaim the Gospel knowing that they're lost. But we don't allow that opposition to hinder the work of the Gospel.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Many people want to know God's will for their lives, but not everyone is active in pursuing it. The simple truth is God uses the Bible to guide us, for example. But if you're not reading it, then it's not much help. He also speaks through wise, godly counsel. But if you never seek out those kind of friends, then you won't hear it. But then there are also times when there's opposition standing in the way of a believer's desire to serve. And overcoming opposition is just one of the simple truths Pastor Xavier draws out from the example of Nehemiah
1: in his call to work. Let's listen. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 20. The message is entitled, A Call to Work. Nehemiah's call to work is characterized By three things: a careful consideration of the task, verse eleven through sixteen. Secondly, a clear communication to the people, in verse seventeen and eighteen. And then, thirdly, a confident confrontation of opposition, verse nineteen and twenty. A careful consideration of the task. Notice the first and eleven. Nehemiah was not a man in a hurry. Mark this well. Too often men rush into the work of God and the people are under pressure. It's easy to get ahead of God. It's easy to start taking control of the things that God began. The people needed rest from the journey, as you know he's come a long ways. And the servant Nehemiah had to wait on God. That is so important. Did you ever notice that Jesus was never in a hurry? Ever you ever reading the gospel where Jesus is running? Sorry, sorry I was late. Okay, where? And they're never in a hurry. He's always right on time. He gives ample time for his work to be done because he begins to deal with the heart of man with sufficient time. And he calls men, he calls women, he calls a group of people to do a work. But it's according to his time. Notice in verse 12 through 15, Nehemiah viewed and assessed the work to be done Very thorough. It isn't just a shoddy look, but you examine everything you're looking at. God has called you. God has sent you. And in verse 15, he returned after the assessment. We must be careful not to be in a hurry to do the work of God until we have waited on God. We already saw in chapter 1 how Nehemiah was a man of prayer and he waited upon God all those months before we make decisions, before we do different things. Now, there are times when God will lead you and you know that God is in and you make that decision right there. But for the most part, we seek the Lord and we wait upon Him for Him to direct us a step at a time. We are not to become presumptuous, we're not to become arrogant, thinking that we can do the work of God in our own energies, our own abilities. And therefore, when God calls you to do the work, whatever it may be, he will be the one that's going to open those doors and bring the people and provide the finances without any pressure, without any begging, without any marketing, without anything else. If God's in something, then God makes it work. I I said last week that it's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one that's standing still. And I may give you the illustration of the old times in the 60s when we didn't have power steering and you had the parallel park. You want to make sure the car was moving. It's a lot easier. If it wasn't moving, man, you had some guns by the time you got out of there. So it's a lot easier to steer that moving object. And God directs and calls. And as you're moving, he directs and guides. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he guides the kings of the earth like the rivers, right? A call to work is characterized by a careful consideration of the task. Secondly, a call to work is characterized by a clear communication to the people. Verse 17 and 18. If the work of God is going to get done, the leader must communicate it clearly to the people. That's the job of the pastor. Nehemiah, notice in verse 17, proclaims the obvious need the condition of the people in distress. The condition of this city, Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. The call to work, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Very obvious. People can see it too. But God calls a leader to point the most obvious things out and to lead the people. We see it through Moses, we see it through Joshua, we see it through David, we see it through Peter, we see it through Paul. Now notice, still there in verse 18, Nehemiah proclaimed it was God's work. This is important. By the good hand of God upon him. This is what he said in chapter one, verse 11 also. The leader must always remind himself that this is God's work not his. And he has to communicate that to the people and not just say it, because a lot of pastors say it and they use God's work for the kingdom they want to build. And they pressure, they prod, they manipulate people. Nobody should pressure you. Nobody should manipulate you. You should hear clearly the voice of God to what he calls you to do in that church. And then you need to do it passionately and wholeheartedly. But also by the king's favor on him, evidence of God's answer and mercy that is given to us from chapter 2, verse 1 on down to 8. And so he's pointing to confirmation that God has been directing and guiding him. Number one, it's, it's important for the leader to understand and to see that God is calling and directing and anointing him. And then he has to remind the people that God is the one who has done this and show evidence that God is the one that's doing it. So that the people's confidence are upon God, not upon the man. Very important. And it's an incredible thing when God works in the heart of people and they catch the vision and God's the one directing And they're coming to hear the voice of God. They're coming to serve God. They're not just coming to get information or to score the sermon, but their passion for God is ready to serve. And God begins to tie the hearts together and to do the things and direct and guide. And God is glorified. Notice their unity. Their common vision and purpose was a result of clear communication to the people. And as evident in chapter 3, as they divide up the work according to families. It was clearly communicated. God was doing the work in the heart, and they committed themselves to do the work. As I think back the years that we have been here, since 1986, and when we got this building with 300 people, we were up to about 500 in the cockroach-infested theater there on Garfield. It's no longer there. And God kept us there for about a year and a half or so. We couldn't find anywhere else. And God dwindled us down from 500 to 300. And when we reached about 300, then God said, now I can do the work, sort of like Gideon's 300. Now I can give you a building, because no one can boast. And he gave us this building with 300 people, a $1,080,000 back in 1986. The building was dilapidated. To us, it was like a castle. The chairs you're sitting on used to be pews that looked like zebras. The carpet was wine red and taped with duct tape and everything else. But God was doing the work. The people responded. They saw God in the midst of it, and God took care of us. And I'm amazed at what he's done through the years. He did it all. The Duke of Windsor tells about his first attempt at public speaking after he became the Prince of Wales. He says, quote, The more appearances I had to make, the more I came to respect the real first-class speech as one of the highest human accomplishments. No one I knew seemed to possess the rare and envied gift of speaking well in so high a degree as Mr. Winston Churchill who was a sympathetic witness of some of my earliest attempts. If you have an important point to make, he advised, don't try to be subtle or clever about it. Use the pile driver. Hit the point once, and then come back and hit it again, and then hit it a third time, a tremendous whack. (laughs) Line upon line, preset upon preset, here a little, there a little. Listen, repetition teaches a donkey. I presume we all qualify. When I was raised as a Catholic, it's called catechism. You catechize, you repeat, okay? And part of leadership is communicating and pointing the most obvious things as God is directing and doing the work and then call them to do the work. Isn't that what moms and dads do? The most obvious. Hey, pick up your clothes. Turn the light off, take the trash out, shut the refrigerators, not an air conditioner. The obvious things, you're leading your children. Now, they learn all those lessons when they get their own home. And then you get to go over there and turn the light on and open their refrigerator. They don't do it anymore because they have to pay the bill. (laughs) But the most obvious things, and God uses basic, simple things to do his work. A leader needs to tell the people that it is the work of God none his. But if he does, then he has to verify it by God's direction and provisions. So the true evidence of a leader who's lead, being led by God is that when he proclaims what he believes God is leading to do is that then God opens those doors and he provides the things without prodding, pressuring, or manipulating people. There's the test. So that everybody sees that God is in the work. And it's not some man that's trying to build his own kingdom. And is just a spiritual cheerleader from the pulpit. Very, very important. A leader has the privilege of seeing the response of the people affirming that it is the work of God. And as I look back at the years what God has done. I see so many of you who have just yielded to God. Now God has used you. And. It encouraged me as a pastor, I see God dealing with the people and how they work and how they yield and how they get involved and how God uses them. And it's a great comfort to me. It causes the pastor to be able to step back and not want to not need to perform, but simply just yield to what God is doing and do only what God has called him to do. And then he can even enjoy ministry. You understand? Because there's no pressure. But just resting in God. So a call to work is characterized by a clear communication to the people. This is lacking many times in leadership. And so the people don't know. They don't know what God wants them to do. But notice thirdly, verse 19 through 20. A call to work is characterized by a confident confrontation of opposition. If God is going to call you to a work of God, there is always going to be opposition you can count on it. In 19, Nehemiah's enemies despised the Jews for their commitment to the work. They've come out of captivity. The Jews are despised. They're looked down upon. They first became deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel in chapter 2, verse 10. When Zambelot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well for the children of Israel. It bugged them. They didn't want the Jews back there. They didn't want the work of God again. And they now laughed at them and came to despise them as they attempted to intimidate them. There in verse 19. Regarding their belief that it was a work of God. It's a mockery. Oh yeah, God's in this. It is amazing to me today in our nation, starting with our public school system, how everything is promoted and tolerated to the most bizarre, corrupt, and perverted thing. But if Jesus is mentioned, or the Bible, or Christianity, it is offensive. It is rejected. They say, what is this thing that you are doing? But also regarding their intent to rebel against the king Artaxerxes, because remember, he's the one who sent Nehemiah, remember? He gave him a set time, gave him all the provisions. And so he says, will you rebel against the king? And as we move on, we're going to see that there's slander. There's false rumors. There's accusations. So when you begin to be used of God, or you get serious to be committed to God, And the work of God, don't think it's strange when you get a pulse in all kinds of different ways. As long as you're just a passive Christian, as long as you're just cruising and minding your own business and you're just going to just give a silent witness, (laughs) Satan won't bother you. He's okay with it. But you get serious and you get committed to the word of God and seeking God in prayer and obeying him and how he's directing and guiding you. And he will oppose you in every way possible in every area of your life. Look at verse 20, Nehemiah's declaration of rebuke to his enemies. By affirming that it was a work of God, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Very bold, he tells his enemies. Therefore, his servants, God's servants, will rise and build. They've caught the vision, they're committed. And also by condemning their work of opposition and involvement regarding their past, but you have no heritage. They weren't Jews. You're in our land, but it's not yours. This is the work of God. And we don't use people who are not of God. Regarding their present, you have no right. Regarding their future, you have no memorial in Jerusalem. Second Timothy 2.24-26 says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So we stand in a little different place than Nehemiah. We go out to the nations and we understand the darkness is upon the world. We used to be there. We used to be blind. We used to be deceived. But we don't run from opposition and we confront opposition and we set the ground and we proclaim the gospel knowing that they're lost. But we don't allow that opposition to hinder the work of the gospel. We move on with the work of the gospel. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called Knowledge. One of the greatest oppositions today to Christianity is the so-called science under the theory of evolution. And so it's the religion of our public school system. It's the only religion that is allowed to be taught in school. It's an indoctrination that refuses to acknowledge God as creator. Days immediately after Dunkirk were darkest for the modern world and supreme disaster all seen irrevocably lost and the invasion of england loomed imminent. england lay prostrate 47 warships had been sunk in the operation of norway after Dunkirk, when the british destroyers were in the shipyards for repair while the royal air force had lost 40 percent of its bomber strength Britain was on the brink of famine and her armies were without arms or equipment. They had left France and France 50,000 vehicles. Churchill spoke for the defenseless islanders. Listen to his words. We shall defend our island wherever the cost may be. And we shall fight in the beaches. We shall fight in the fields. We shall fight in the streets. We shall fight in the hill we shall never surrender and if this island were subjugated and starving our empire on the seas would carry on the struggle until in god's good time the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and liberation of the old he's talking about america europe has forgotten that if it wasn't for us they would be speaking german Europe has forgotten that we built Europe again. When we have soldiers buried in every part of the world, Hmm. people will despise you and try to intimidate you for your commitment to the work of God, but you must be strong in Christ. The believer must always rebuke opposition by affirming that it is the work of God by the past guidance. The present provisions and confronting that work of opposition boldly the believers should know and communicate that the unbeliever cannot be part of the work of God for it to be God's work it has to be by God's people and we reach to the non-believer that they might become children of God but God help us that we would use non-believers to do the work of God never you remember in the book of Joshua that the children of Israel compromised and they made a, a compromise with the Gibeonites. And they lied to them. They came with the moldy bread, the clothes, and all that. And they didn't take counsel of the Lord. And so they made a covenant with them. And then a few days later, here they are. And what did they do with them? They made them carriers of water and wood for the sanctuary. What? The place of worship? It makes no sense, does it? I am amazed at um, the economic crunch that all of us are feeling. That it is the big churches that are suffering the most. Those who have built their own kingdom. I'm not saying all big churches are in the flesh. If it's God's work, God will take care of it. But the majority of them are feeling big. When you build your kingdom, you have to maintain it. You strive to attain, you have to strive to maintain if you're living within your means, God will take care of it. And if he shortens it up, tighten your belt and God takes care of it. That's how you know it's the work of God. A call to work is characterized by a confident confrontation of opposition. This has always marked the church, ladies and gentlemen. This has always marked biblical leadership because it's leadership that serves a model The thing that marks the Israelis different from all armies of the world is that their officers, their generals lead into war. No one else does. They lead by example. No wonder they're such fierce warriors today. They don't compromise. They don't negotiate. They take care of business how much more should the church? There's no compromise. And God give us wisdom. To call the work is characterized by a careful consideration of the task, a clear communication to the people, and a confident confrontation of opposition. It's a good fight. It's worth fighting. <laughs> God help us if we would lay down.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of having confidence in your calling. More Simple Truths about serving God's kingdom from our study series of the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's Simple Truths Bible message, mention today's date or ask for it by name, a call to work when you get in touch. We have them available on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll be including everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Work, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, be sure and mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This way, we can track this outreach in your area. We're called to run the race, not enjoy the view. Learn more when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.